I think in all things that we do, whether it's, you know, a big mistake, little mistake, get comfortable with owning that mistake. Get out of the habit of pointing your finger and, and just point it to yourself and go, yep, I probably need to own that one and, and we can move on. I said in a whole company defense backwards, a company defense, we're all set in, turn the wrong way. And I look at the map and I'm like, holy cow. Oh my goodness. I'm all screwed up. But before the boss got back, everybody was reoriented the right way. And this is after digging. So people had been digging and you know, that's not going to go over well. Right. But you know, there was not a single word uttered to the commander or anybody else after that. And the whole company knew because the whole company was backwards. But it wasn't like a point of consternation the next day or even after that. I don't even think it was brought up in the AAR. It was like, you just turn around because you owned it. Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional discussion where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. And Leader Up audience, I'm going to tell you that I am honored and I'm privileged today to have as our Leader Up guest for this episode, my commanding general. And I'm so pleased to introduce to you, this is Lieutenant General Milford Beagle, and uh, he has three hats that he wears, and I'm going to address those. He is the commanding general of the United States Army Combined Arms Center and Fort Leavenworth. He is also the commandant of the United States Army Command and General Staff College, and he also has a role as a deputy commanding general in TRADOC. Uh, for combined arms for for TRADOC. So he wears three distinct hats, and we're going to talk about some of those hats today. And so, General Beagle, I just want to thank you and welcome you today to Leader Up. Thank you for being a, a guest on our podcast. No, David, it's an honor to be here, and, and I really appreciate it. You know, the you know time is very precious to all of us, and, you know, this is something that's very important to me, and, and I will give up time all day for this and the ability to have a dialogue with you and just kind of share, you know, a little bit of what, what I think and what I know, whether it be personally or professionally is, is always a good thing because you can, you can go flat with people in terms of just laying out how you see things. And it may not change all opinions, but it's not about getting people on your side of the fence. It's just being clear in terms of how you're communicating and what you want to relay. And, and thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And before we get in with the questions, I want to point out, just for those of you that aren't familiar with his background, and we do have his bio posted with this episode, but he's a 1990 graduate of the South Carolina State University, the, yes, the Bulldogs. Bulldogs. And he is also, his past two assignments, uh, all of his assignments are important, but the past two kind of show where he's come from. His most recent assignment was as the commander of 10th Mountain Division and Fort Drum. That's on the kind of the force comm side. Right. And then before that, he was the commander at Fort Jackson of, of the training side. So if you think, leader up audience, about he's here at the Combined Arms Center. He was in an operational assignment at 10th Mountain Division, and he was in TRADOC in, in a basic training. That's quite a, a breadth of recent experience that he's had. And so... Uh, General Beagle, the first thing I would like to ask you to talk about is the Combined Arms Center and just what is the Combined Arms Center and what is our role uh, as those of us who work in the Combined Arms Center in the Army mission? Yeah, and I was I was thinking about 
how do I really address this? I may give you an analogy I gave to the SMA, Sergeant Major of the Army, and it's not your standard definition of what, what is CAC and how do you define it. And what I described to Sergeant Major Weimer when he came in, and it was a whiteboard session over in Lewis and Clark, you know, of course, you know, where we do CGSC. And I said, I'm going to describe the Combined Arms Center to you this way, SMA. And I said, CAC is the blinking yellow light that nobody pays attention to. Well, that really caught his attention because, of course, the next question is, well, what do you mean? And I said, we touch everything for our Army. And in some cases, the rest of our Army doesn't really know that because part of what we do in you know, developing, educating soldiers and leaders across our Army because of our connection with the Centers of Excellence, the doctrine writing that we do, the Combined Arms Center training with regard to combat, combat training centers, War fighters, uh, MCTP, Mission Command Training Program, we touch essentially everything in our Army from an institutional side, and we also support Futures Command in all things modernization, and most people don't know that. So with all those things going on, I said, it's just like a yellow blinking light when you go down the street, you kind of look at it, and, and you, you, you look left and right, but you know you don't have to speed up, or in some cases you do speed up, or you're going to slow down and wait. But we'll typically just kind of kind of blow by it. And a lot of times, you know, Army will realize there's a lot of things that we're doing here at the Combined Arms Center because we touch so much. And they may not always be paying attention to it. And, we, and we're right there at that intersection trying to get people to see. We, we can tell you where we're going because we have a foot in the field at force and we have a foot in the future force. And we're always, you know, at that intersection going, okay, we, we can kind of see where we're at. We see where we're going and, and how do we, you know, get our force from one place to the other? We stand at the cross-section of that. And it wasn't, you know, a negative comment about CAC and, you know, the, the whole blinking light. But, but we're there, and, and we do, you know, need people to pay attention. That's part of what we do is to communicate what we do on behalf of TRADOC for our Army, for the fielded force and the future force. And, you know, I, I've been here at Fort Leavenworth for a long time, and we used to say that at Fort Leavenworth— Let's go back 120, 130, 150 years ago. You cross that river, you come to Fort Leavenworth, you get all your final stuff before you go off into the wilderness. And is it, are we not still having that same role that you come here and, and you find out current uh, technology, current thought, current wisdom before you go off and to fight the bigger wars? Right. No, absolutely. Because of the fact that we touch every, you know, commander, sergeant major that's going to go in command across our army, regardless of compo, all compos, and through our pre-command courses, and the fact that you have all of our senior leaders come here seven times a year, it shows you the importance of what we do, our workforce here, our army civilian professionals, and and it just ranges the the, the spectrum from again MCTP to CGSC, our school of command prep, we touch everything, so it's, it's highly important that. Our senior leaders come here, they show their presence, which is why they show their presence, because to your point, they know you're going to get, I wouldn't say always the final upload, but you're going to get a heavy upload before you go into your next position. That includes our Army civilian professionals, but you always have that connection back to the Combined Arms Center. So that's the point where we get you to slow down and pay attention to that, that, that yellow blinking light, right, is when we get you here. And let's talk a little bit more, sir, if you will, about Army civilians. Our podcast, we, we primarily engage with those of us who are in the Army Civilian Corps. And so from your perspective, 
as uh, a, a recent commanding general of a division. Now you're the commanding general here. And thinking back on the past 33 years, how have you seen the role of Army civilians change, evolve over that time frame? Yeah, and this this may sound a little bit bad, but I think it's something that we always say. And, and typically, you know, coming up, you you because you hear the stories, you hear some of the the myth and the legend about civilians, and so this there's this the stereotype of the little old man in tennis shoes or the little old lady in tennis shoes. It's just kind of what you think because of at the level you're at, generally that's who you're interacting with, whether it be CIF or you know customer service in some part of the organization or on the installation then that's kind of the, the the thing that most will grow up with until you get a little bit older. And I, I had the great fortune of interacting with our Army civilian professional much earlier in my career, from captain all the way up to this point. And, and you can see what our civilian professionals bring to the table because you're not seeing that common, you know, perpetuated myth, urban legend, your civilians, here's what they do. They're going to be, you know, uh, a barrier for you. That's really not the case. You really have to understand what they do for our entire organization. And I've been able to see that. And as you mentioned, my last, you know, decade for me has been back and forth between operating force and institutional force, Forcecom and TRADOC. So you've seen it from that. So I've seen it from that perspective as well, which is also very unique when you, when you're on the institutional side, there's a much heavier quantity of army civilian professionals in TRADOC. That's just how we're generally designed across the board and force comp, not as high, but the importance and the relevance is, I would say, even higher when you talk about things like continuity, stability, et cetera. It's, it's just a different dynamic, but the importance nonetheless is there. And so why is it important, uh, just kind of a follow-on to that, why is it important for us as part of the Army Civilian Corps to be educated to do our great appropriate civilian education system courses. Why does that matter? Is it important? And and why is it important? Yeah, so I, I had a very similar conversation the other day with a four-star. I won't say the four-star. And, and I'll start it this way. He came to me and he said, we were at the Army Profession Forum. And he's pulled me to the side and he said, why don't we use arms? It should be profession of arms. And I'm literally pinned in a corner with a four-star. I'm like, sir, I got you. I hear you. And I'm, I'm listening. And typically that's how you hear it stated, the Army profession or profession of arms. But when you think about it, fundamentally, you know, in our own doctrine, our profession is two things. It's the profession of arms is our green suitors, all compos. And the other side of our profession is our Army civilian professionals. So the two together is the profession. You split it apart, profession of arm, green suitors, and our Army civilian professionals. That makes up our profession, and that's in our doctrine and in our logic maps. And so you have to have the two for our entire army. That That is our profession. And just four years ago, um, the when the Army republished ADP 622, they republished the Army Civilian Corps Creed, and they added the word leadership to the phrase in the creed. And our, our old creed said... I provide stability and continuity. And so that new creed that was published in 2019 says, I provide leadership, stability, and continuity. And just so how are those, th- why are those things important? Why, why, how do you see those as important for those of us in the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah. And 
I think I don't know the exact number, but I think you know we would look at data and see that a higher percentage of our Army civilian professionals have have had some experience in the military. They've they've served at some point. So they bring to the table that leadership experience. It's not like they forgot, regardless of where they were, regardless of how long they served or what position they served in, but they're bringing that component of leadership that they've learned throughout their time in the Army. So they bring that that dynamic in. And even those that have not, I think they bring experience and that ability to lead into our formation. And when you think of the stability component of it, our civilian professionals that have been in an organization for any amount of time have now seen what an organization has gone through. You're going to see you know, multiple turnovers. You're going to see different things change over time, priorities, focus, et cetera. So that stability, in my mind, is is a matter of seeing that organization evolve over time. And then the continuity piece is preventing that organization from, from stepping into or stepping over, you know, pitfalls over time. There's your continuity piece because now they can – they can see a little bit further ahead because of the stability component. They kind of know what this organization has been through, changes, shifts. That continuity comes in is based on, at least to me, what you can see now going forward. We can avoid some of these pitfalls because you, you've seen the history, the dynamic of the leadership that you bring to the table. You can help keep that team steady. You can help that team see themselves. And those that are coming in new help them integrate into the team. So so I, I do agree fundamentally with those three components of the definition, and I've described those, you know, in my own way, but but those the components are key. I'd like to switch gears a little bit, and uh, I want to hear the story that I've heard you tell this before in other uh, venues. I just would like to hear about your great-grandfather, just that story and your experience of kind of re, re-meeting that story uh, in your career. Yeah, so my my great grandfather Walter Beagles was you know someone that lived into his ninety. So it wasn't as if I didn't know him. I literally spent a lot of time around him as a as a young kid into my teenage years before he passed away. So I, I did get to know him. One thing he did not talk about was his his service in the army. And after he passed away and I joined the army, then many of my family members would say, "Did you know your great grandpa was in the served in World War One?" Well, no, I didn't know that because he didn't tell me. And nobody else told me until, you know, they saw me in my, on my journey as a soldier. And it wasn't until the time I went to Fort Jackson as the commander. And I said, well, let me just do some research because he's from South Carolina. I'm from South Carolina. I would assume when he enlisted for World War One, he reenlisted somewhere within the state, if not on, on this list. And there were several camps at the time because it was Camp Jackson. They did have other camps throughout South Carolina, where you can go enlist, and that's where you did your training. So lo and behold, I, I, I give the name and some other documents to my historian. The historian comes back, and he had this look on his face like he just discovered a treasure trove. And, and the thing I wanted to know was, just please tell me great-grandpa didn't get an Article 15 or chapped it out. That's all I want to know. And so he came back with much more. He said not only you know did he enlist here at Fort Jackson, he also deployed. He was part of the, the 346 Labor Battalion went to France and came back. And I said, you still didn't answer my question. Was he honorably discharged or did he get chaptered or Article 15? He was like, none of that. He, he, he got discharged, you know, the right way, honorable, et cetera. I'm like, that is so awesome. And I honestly didn't put a whole lot of thought into it until, you know, somebody came to me and said, that's pretty ironic that you now command the post that your, your great-grandfather, when he walked through those gates, it was a segregated army. 
he wasn't allowed to join the infantry, be a combat soldier. He served in a labor battalion, deployed, et cetera. And it really hit me then. I said, well, when you think about it, it's not really irony, but it does show a level of progress in our army and things that, that we've done over time. So there was a lot of pride in that. There was a lot of pride in walking around the grounds of Fort Jackson's where, you know, parts of the old post were as they were when he was there, not in terms of the structure, but that part of post you knew where the World War One soldiers trained. And even in some of the training areas, you can see things that his battalion did because a labor battalion, they would do as described labor. I mean, they would dig trenches for those to go train in the trench lines, and some of those things still existed. So that was pretty surreal for me to do that. And it was exactly 100 years later that I went there to command Fort Jackson between the time he came there in 1918 to enlist in the Army. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm, I'm real curious to know if when you said when you first heard that, it didn't kind of the, – the significance wasn't immediate for you. And is it is it possibly because – um, of the progress that we have made, that it's it's not that unusual now that we have the great grandson uh, of someone like that who's gone on to do great things in our army, and, and we we've say the past thirty or forty years, you know that 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 kind of thing has become more common, and so maybe it, sometimes it is helpful to say. Yeah, that is that. That's kind of a unique thing that that happened. Yeah, and and it was you know because of I think you know being of color, that's why it didn't resonate. Because to your point, you, you see things now that we do better. Things weren't the way they were twenty, thirty years ago. They're they're much better. So me coming through the army thirty three years, you you've seen that progress over time. And it's not that I took it for granted. It's some things you you typically overlook. Whereas. If that had happened 30, 40 years ago, it would have been immediate front brain of like, wow, this is this is really, really powerful. It, it was just as powerful in 2018 when I took command there. But but to me, not as much because you, you've you seen your Colin Powell's. You've seen your, your Lloyd Austin's do things. You're like, okay, this is all progress and not really see yourself as part of that. So I just I didn't look at myself as part of that at the level I was, whereas other people looked at it and that was huge to them. And that's what brought me back and made me mindful. It's like, yeah, this is this is pretty significant when you think of it, you know, in the full perspective of things. Right. And um, we, we see Colin Powell and we say he was the first uh, black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now we have the second one. Right. And so when there's a third and fourth one, it's not it's no longer something to marvel at. That's just who we are. Right. Now and it doesn't matter. Uh, what someone's background, ethnicity, or any none of that right. matters. Right. What matters is the merit of the of the person. Yeah, correct. And and I wasn't the first at Fort Jackson. And in fact, there was another graduate from South Carolina State who was the first you know black commander of Fort Jackson, and and I was you know the second. And you're like, and that, again, another reason why it didn't really dawn on me. And anytime you hear anybody say they're the first, typically you're going to hear, well, I don't want to be the last. Right. And, yes. and, and so when you're second, you're like, right. okay, so, I mean, this this ball has continued to move. We've continued to evolve because that person wasn't the last. I'm number two, and you're going to assume there, there'll be a number three. And to your point, that becomes normal you know, in our organization over time. I'd also like to ask you about another story that uh, I've, I've heard you tell before, and it's how you got your nickname, that, that story about 
uh, it was either your battalion or brigade commander that walked you through that process. Cause there's a lot more to that story, uh, than just how you got your nickname, but there's also about, uh, the gift that we can give to others. And I would like you to include that if you can remember that part of the yeah, story. Yeah, no, now you're about to make me emotional because that's a story I've, I've never forgotten. And I have to find various ways to tell it and, and kind of give the Reader's Digest version of it. But I think like most of us that have served as officers and you have your typical as your lieutenant, you go in, you meet the battalion commander. So we had a new battalion commander come in and, and he was doing what was you know part of our normal culture, which is I want to meet all the officers. And it was a very quick office call. You, you figure in a battalion, you've got a lot of lieutenants. you got to go through all your captains and then your field grades and so on and so forth, which are non-commissioned officers. And civilians, if you have them, and in those days, you didn't have many civilians in a, in a battalion formation in the early 90s. But at any rate, I'm waiting in the you know battalion area in the little you know conference space to get called in, just like my peers. And I watch my peers go in this door, and about five minutes, they come out. And we all were teed up and kind of knew what to expect. He's going to go in, ask you your name and where you're from and those kind of things, and then you're out. And based on timing, that that's what was happening. They're, they're just coming in and coming and going in about five minutes. And I had a lot of time to sit there and think, just watching four or five of my peers come in and go out. And I didn't think they were doing anything wrong, but I'm like, that's pretty quick. That's not a very in-depth conversation. So I'll, I'll just see what I can do when I go in. And I go in and right to script. First thing was, so what do you go by? And I said, sir, it's not, it's definitely not Milford. There's probably one person that calls me that. It's my mother. And he said, well, what do you go by? And I, I looked at my name tag and I said, well, it's, it's Beagle. That's what I played sports. I mean, that's kind of what everybody refers us to each other as last name, et cetera. And he said, well, I don't think that's going to work. So how about Beags? Sir, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm good with that. And it, and it stuck. And his next question was, so where do you see yourself down the road? What do you want to do in the Army? And immediately, and I have no idea why I said it, I said, sir, I want to be a general officer and a division commander. And he paused for a second, looked at me like you're kind of looking at me right now, and said, take a seat. And I said, oh, boy. So I took a seat. I had my pen and paper, as always. And for 40 minutes, he sat there and told me. He started and said, I'm not a general officer, obviously, but I can I can tell you generally what it may take to get you to that point. Now I'm feeling really bad because 40 minutes later, he'd spent all this time with me and kind of shared, you know, what he knew, what he thought, what I would have to do, work ethic, drive, those type things over the course of a career to, to get me to that point. And I walked away going, I didn't want to be in there five minutes. I certainly didn't want to be in there 40 minutes, but I got 40 minutes. And and I and I told a little bit of a fib in the fact of where I thought I wanted to be. I just assumed that was what you would normally say when somebody asks you, well, where do you want to be? Well, sir, I, I want to be a general. I mean, you know, what else do you say? And it hit me then for sure is like this person invested 40 minutes of their time in me. So now I have to do something with that advice. I mean, that is like feedback. You, you cannot take that as a gift. I could have took that as a gift and said, okay, I, I may think about it or use it. Now you've given me something that, you know, one, your time, and two, something that I have to use. I felt obligated to use that throughout the course of my career and to bring closure to it. I've tried to find him for many years. I found him when I was at Fort Jackson, in fact, which was about 25 years later. Called him, a lot of alligator tears on the phone. He, 
He didn't know why at first, but when I told him and kind of shared the exact same story I just shared with you and the audience out there, I said, I just wanted to say thank you because I look at where I am now, and I never would have been here if you'd not given me that 40 minutes of your time. And I'm sure he 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 definitely remembered you because you were an officer in in that battalion. Did he did he remember the time? Did he remember what he talked to you about, or did he say, "Yeah, I think I do remember talking to you"? Or because sometimes when we have those uh, encounters like that, the person who's getting it, it's like this is the most this is so powerful for me. And sometimes the senior leaders don't they lose sight of it. It's not that they don't care, but it's they're so giving that it doesn't have the same uh, meaning for them in the moment. Right, yeah. And I, I, when I refreshed his memory on the story, I, I think the, the meaning all, it, it meant something to him because that's just typically how he was. I mean, he would invest. I think what he lost sight of is the time. I always remembered the time because I remembered what time I walked in right. and what time I walked out. And I think it, it was lost on him that he, that much time went by, 40 minutes, and he was just pouring into me. And I said, that is one thing I will never forget. I said, I probably forgot half of what you told me, but it was just more important. You gave me 40 minutes. As a battalion commander, I'm a second lieutenant. That is something I could never give you back. And what you gave me in that 40 minutes has propelled me to this point because I never forgot that time and some of those things that you told me. And because all the other officers are sitting outside thinking, I was only in there for five minutes. He was in there for 40 minutes. What did he do right? Or what did he do wrong? Why right. do you have to stay in there longer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the time, but the time, and, and it is a, it is such a valuable uh, lesson, I think, for all of us who see ourselves as leaders or influential is take the time to engage with people when, when you, and even when you don't have the time, but the opportunity is there to, yeah. to do that. Push yourself to do it. Right. And uh, yeah, the, but when it's a lieutenant colonel and a, and a new lieutenant, that that time is that that's a very special time to have to have gotten with that that officer. Yes, I think. Which is why we were crying on the phone. We we literally both were because I mean, he was just moved to tears when we had that conversation, and I was moved because it, it just could not believe you know where I sat having that phone call with him and just reflecting on that time that he spent. And I want to kind of switch gears and talk now a little bit more about current things that, that you're doing here at the Combined Arms Center and kind of some leadership topics. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about is uh, a memo that you published uh, right uh, just a few months after you took command. Uh, and the memo is called Lamps Out Time. The lamp is out time. And what what was the purpose of that? What was Maybe what problem did you see that you were attacking, uh, and what kind of response have you gotten from that? Yeah, so it was a a pullover from my time at Fort Drum, and there it was a, it was a policy letter, and didn't have a special name to it, but the policy was very simple, which essentially stated, you know, after eighteen hundred hours, you would not text or call anybody unless it was you know life, health, safety. Or you were checking on somebody. It's, it's, you know, you're not going to keep them switched on, and and you're not going to do that before you know five in the morning, because we we all know as 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 green suitors and our army civilian professionals that we're in the army twenty four seven, but we can't be turned on twenty four seven, and that causes a lot of stress. And it, it took me going through 
a couple of rounds of my deox survey to figure out is like why do we have these issues of predictability, you know, our op tempo is high, and, and it depends on where you are. Because I mean, it was the same thing at Fort Jackson, which made me scratch my head. It's like, how can we say op tempo is high and predictability at a place like Fort Jackson, where there's a lot of predictability right. and stability, you know, but but the same themes. And when I got to Fort Drum, same themes. You're like, okay, well, it's a division. We deploy a lot of deployments, et cetera. So what's the real problem? And the real problem was we weren't doing training management right. And I went into you know my group of leaders from company battery troop all the way up to brigade, and said we don't know training management, but we don't know we don't know training management because we're doing it all through text, last minute emails, last minute phone calls, and that causes a lot of stress on our soldiers, and we're putting a vast majority of our formation on a leash. I said, soldiers, we can look at a generation ago, well, they're always on their phone. They, they like being on their phone. They do, but not with their boss. Right. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't need you telling me last minute task or whatever you were thinking while you were running or while you were shaving or brushing your teeth. You don't need to send that to me 1800 on a Saturday night because it's not life. It's not safety. It's not health related. You just put something in my rucksack that now I've got to think about, you know, either immediately or carry that into next week to work on. But it wasn't urgent. It really wasn't important. But we have meetings, we have formations, we have that time to communicate to put those things there, training calendars, training schedules. So I pulled it over here, and the first deox I got was within the first 90 days of being here. Same themes, different environment, had a good feel of, you know, CAC, Fort Leavenworth is, is a different composition. Still TRADOC, but a different composition. But people are people, and you can't keep people turned on all the time and emails are flying and because if I were to send you David an email Saturday night at 1800 you see Beagle coming in inbox guess what you're going to do you might not work the task but you're going to take your time to go sir acknowledge I don't even want you to do that because now I just diverted your focus from whatever you're doing it could be dinner it could be just just your time to think and reflect but something calls you to oh, I, I got to respond and I could have waited so now it takes discipline across our organization discipline for me Discipline from you to like not respond back. Well, if I'm not sending, you don't have anything to respond back to. And I've gotten great feedback from people that have been there for quite some time. I'll just put it that way. And said, sir, after you did that, the emails I received over the weekend at night have gone down drastically. Great. Awesome. Because we figured out what's really important, what's really critical, and then Give people that time. I love Jimmy V when he says, you know, every single day you should have time to think, you should have time to laugh, and you should have your emotions move to tears. Now, there's some days I can look at my inbox and something will move me to tears. <laughs> right. But we all have to have that time to think. And, and, and that allows people to refresh, reboot when you go home. Because I don't want to put that burden in your rucksack. But I think once we discipline ourselves across the board, that is really helpful. People come in more energized because – there's less things they have to, to carry home or do. I can power off for a minute. I'm, I'm still at work. I'm still, you know, 24-7. But I don't, may not want my brain to be on work 24-7. And I don't think that's healthy or good for an organization when you make people do that. And sometimes I wonder if we are at a point where, if you recall, when you study military history, they kind of say, well, when the uh, automatic weapons started showing up in World War One, and then in the late uh, after the Civil War, tactics hadn't caught up with the technology. And so I'm wondering if over the past 20 or 30 years, our leadership hasn't, we haven't looked at our, our technology, the phone, the email, in terms of 
this is great for managing stuff, but how does it affect us leadership-wise? Right. And there's a distinct difference. We, we manage systems and things. We lead people. Right. And you, you have to be able to kind of divorce the two and determine what you're doing. But to lead people, it means you got to take care of the people. Um, but all the tools that we have, the, the email, the social media, chat rooms, I mean, all these different things, that's not designed to put a burden a right. burden on the people, which is what we were doing. And I think the best feedback I received, even with the feedback from here, was at Fort Drum when, you know, a soldier came in because I would have, just like we did here, we, we did the cross-generational teams, have them outbrief to formation. And she stood up very similar to the size of the audience we had at Lewis and Clark when we did the outbrief. I mean, you know, three, 400 people. And this is all leaders. So you got a little specialist in front of company battery, troop commanders, sergeant majors, or, or Army civilian professionals, and said, when I got back from leave and found out that we did that policy, I started crying. Because while I was on leave, I felt like I took my entire chain of command with me. And that immediately let everybody know that that was the power of that policy and taking that stress off of our people. And if I if I text somebody at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday morning and they're headed out the door to their kid's soccer game to coach, and it is the most well-intentioned text, the most polite, that says, no rush, when you get a chance, can we talk about something? It is still it's going to take that person off out of what they should be thinking about. Right. And, in fact, it may eventually make whatever that event is that I'm so focused on, there may be so, such a bad feeling about it that there's mistakes or short-sightedness because I, I'm, I'm constantly talking about it all the time. Right. Yeah, you just completely put cold water. You stole that focus because, to your analogy, I'm going to a kid's soccer game with the spouse, all things are good, as you pointed out, well-intentioned. Here you go to email. Ah, so now I'm thinking, what is what is my answer going to be? How am I going to respond to this? What do I need to do Monday? You just put all that on my brain, and I'm trying to watch my kid, and then the wife nudges me and says, did you see that play? Uh, yeah. It, not really. You, you, you didn't see that because now you're distracted, whereas there would have been no harm, no foul, wait till Monday. But you feel better because – you got that off your plate. Right. You had the great epiphany. I had the well-intentioned email text message, but you got it away from you. So now I can go back and think freely because I just put that on somebody else. Right. Yeah, I got it off my plate. Right. And onto yours. Yes. And in some cases, that person getting that text message might respond to themselves and say, I thought we just talked about all that yesterday. <laughs> Didn't we have a meeting about that? <laughs> yeah. Yep, and and then the bosses they're distracted that that meeting, which is why they need to pull you back in. Right. Yeah, and and I don't think I've said it here enough. I probably should say it more, but I I know I've said it quite a bit. Is when you talk about those meetings, you have to have the meeting after the meeting in the meeting. Right. Yes. Which is another way. You know, we we prevent doing that. I mean, it's like why didn't you say that in the meeting? Because I mean, right. you'll come out and send me a text Saturday. Well, yesterday in that meeting, you said we heard blah blah. Why didn't you say that in the meeting? That's why we have the meeting. So now you just took more of my time after the meeting, and that clearly should have been said or brought up, or you should have had the personal courage to say that in the meeting, which is the purpose of the meeting. And there was a, another memo that you published. Uh, it's similar, and it's ca called The One Thing. That was the name of the memo. What is that one about, and what was your uh, intention with that one? Yeah, so – just like you'll see in most organizations, we're, 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 we're at that point now in, in terms of the Combined Arms Center and, and Fort Leavenworth. 
you'll have transitions. You have different things come up, different priorities. I have my priorities. You'll have a change, you know, above you. So all these things start to 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 cave in on an organization. The walls start to close a bit, and you're trying to figure out how do I, I put my precious resources against this mountain of tasks and priorities and things that we need to do. And and this was at Fort Drum. I think I did something very similar at Fort Jackson. And I said, we, we need to focus on the one thing. So instead of getting overwhelmed with this mountain of things that we got to do, and I know there's a lot on everybody's plate and things that you need to get done, what what is the one thing that you need to do right now? Just focus on that one thing. It's like taking that first step. Just fo- don't worry about step number 10. Don't worry about step number five. We will get there eventually. You will get there eventually. But what is the one thing you need to do to start? And and that kind of centers people back to go, okay, this is not as overwhelming. This mountain is not as high as I think. I just need to focus on the one thing. What is that one step that's going to be the critical step that we really need to get right? Then we can go to two. Then you can go to three. But you have to circle it back to what is what is the one thing? What is the one thing that you're going to do? What is the one thing that you're going to do differently? And then the next day, it's the same thing. You keep repeating that cycle. So what's the one thing tomorrow if you accomplish that one thing from yesterday? And just keep putting things in perspective with incremental steps versus overwhelming yourself with, with everything that we have to do. Is is that kind of like what, uh, I don't know if you've heard this concept from Admiral uh, McRaven, who talks about making your bed. Yes. Is that the same? It's basically, you can control that, you can do it, you start the day off with an accomplishment, and once you get it done, you feel a sense of empowerment. Is that is it kind of the same to focus on what you can focus on. Right. Yes. That That is a great connection because I know at, at some point you'll, you'll ask me and I share it in the pre-command courses, like books I like to read. But that book from Admiral McRaven, Making Your Bed, you know, and I wouldn't say I got it from there, but exactly the way you laid it out. It's that, that one thing. What is that one thing you control that you, that you can do? You know you've got it done. You may not get some others, but you, you did that one that one key thing today and apply that across what we do. And there was another, there was a, a retired colonel, I think his name was Kolditz, K-O-L-D-I-T-Z. He wrote a book called In Extremist Leadership. It's about like firefighting, warfighting, combat, what, how people react in those situations. And, and to do his research, he did, he did a, a tandem jump experiment where he would take people that hadn't jumped and would right. jump with them. And he said... When he got them in the plane, he would always tell them, these are people that have never done any of this. He would say, your job, what I need you to do is keep your eye on that part of the plane right there. I need you to watch that. Keep your eyes on that. And um, he said, all that really was was to focus the energy of the people just to give them a something to do. And he said that when he told them that, they're in very close quarters. He said he could feel the, the yes, feel the tension going yeah. down. And you've probably seen that in units where people are just running around pulling their hair out, and then somebody kind of steps in and says, all right, let's focus on this for right now. That is that kind of a similar uh, concept? No, that, that's exactly it. And, and I learned that ironically. I saw it you know, play out you know, in reality. The same battalion commander that gave me my nickname, we're out at the National Training Center, so a very short story. And, of course, you got the chaos of the battle there at the great Fort Irwin, radio chatter, everything, and, and people are calling. And he would come over the radio just so calm. And I was some days envisioned in my head, you're listening to all this chaos. 
I said, it sounds like he's in a recliner. <laughs> right. It's like he's, just, he's in a recliner with a cup of coffee and he's giving instructions and you're just like, that's amazing. With, with all of this chaos going on, all these reports coming in, and you said, that is something you need to emulate because it would. It would just have that common effect. And you can tell that just over the radio. I mean, we just get to this crescendo of noise and he would just calm it down. And now reports are coming in clean. People are taking their time, not stepping over each other, stepping on each other, et cetera. And I learned a very so multiple valuable lessons from this one commander, but that was that was one of them as well. And I'd like to talk to you about something that I've I've heard you say, and it's kind of connected to a, a quote by Albert Einstein. Um it's we shouldn't, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, we shouldn't focus on success. We should focus on being of value. And just what what does that mean for you? And do I have the do I have the sentiment right, your sentiment about that? And what does that mean for you to not focus on being of successful, but to focus on being value of value to your organization? Yeah. I came across that quote many years ago from Albert Einstein. It said, strive not to be a success, strive to be a value. And it completely resonated with me. And I forget what point I was in my career, maybe major lieutenant colonel, but it really resonated because I think a lot of, you know, our our leaders or some cases civilian professionals and others, even outside of our military, they, they focus on a thing and it may be the wrong thing. I may focus on a rank. I'll focus on a position. I'll focus on some status. Yeah, you may define success that way, but but did you truly define success for you know yourself and the team that you're on? So it really is about being value added. Where where are you most value added? And that is success in and of itself. Because if you're value to that team, that should make you feel really good about yourself and what you're doing. You're contributing, and everybody wants to be appreciated for what they do. So it's really just coming in and being value added. It 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 will gain you as many of us have seen. It may gain you a promotion. It may gain you this job or this position, but we can't lose sight of it. It was because of you were fundamentally value-added. You, you were of high value and a high contributor to that team. That's what got you there, not the fact that you were chasing, well, I've got to get to that position. I've got to get to this certain rank. You might be shooting at the wrong target, whereas just be where your boots are every day. Provide that value. That gains you even more. And, oh, by the way, I think it takes a lot of stress off of you because you're not chasing something. You're not chasing trying to get to this point because that's what you deem a success. What if somebody moves that mark or you have a change of perspective? Well, I got there and that's not really success. So now it's something else. A lot of stress on you versus just focus on being value added to yourself and that organization. And we taught a class last week called uh, it's business transformation class where we talk, you look at your workflows and things like that in an organization. It's a management class. And one of the dichotomies that we talked about is, is your organization a function centric or is it process centric? In other words, am I just focusing on my little rice bowl uh, or do I see how my rice bowl fits? And so it's not just that I'm successful at my little function, but is my function, yes. how does, how is it a value back to the organization. Is that kind of the same idea? Do you agree with that? Yes, that's exactly the idea. And there's, you know, one book I had our team, not the whole team. I, I really wish I could have could have done this LPD with all of the Combined Arms Center in Fort Leavenworth, and it's called Disruption Mindset. And that's part of what that's about as well, is like you have to figure out where does the work really get done? 
don't get caught up in the hierarchy and the, and the blockchain and, and where everybody sits on the, the organizational chart, but where does the work really get done inside that organization? Kind of organize yourself that way. And that's not making light of or, or saying this part of the organization doesn't get a lot of work done. They probably get a lot of work done, but we have to know that. And then, or they connect it with the other part of the organization that they need to be connected with versus we're just kind of running things through the organizational chart. Another great book, very similar sentiment, called Scrum. And, and how do you get things done? You know, it's, it's from a scrum. When you watch rugby, I mean, they're, they're just all together. It looks like one big mess, but but there's purpose behind that one big mess. And and we cannot get caught up so much in to the structure of the organization and my function versus your function. They probably nest together at some point. In a hierarchy, we kind of look at that as going up and then into one person or the leader and this kind of fuse there. We can do that at a much lower level if we look left and right at what our entire organization does for the rest of the team. You know, I, I had a student in an intermediate course several years ago who worked, she worked over at track and um, we were talking about briefing and kind of briefing senior officers. And she said that she was briefing one of their SESs and she did everything that you would from the textbook about a briefing Paper copies, water bottles, stand up in front of the all the and she said the SES just at the beginning just kind of ratcheted it back and said, just come sit down here and let's go through these and tell me what I need to know about this topic. Not the greeting and the all of those things that we kind of get lost in rather than where what is the value that I need to convey to to my boss? Not Am I, did I do a successful briefing, but did I get the information to the boss that they need so right. that our organization can be successful? Yes. And I had, I don't know if you heard about it, but I had the Brief Lab come here. There's a book called Brief, and, and they have a, a team that comes out, and they call it the Brief Lab, but it gets exactly to your point. And, and they, they talk about how do you communicate, how do you relay information in a brief way. One of the things they say is if you can't explain something in eight to 10 words, you don't understand it well enough. Well, that, that causes you to have to do a lot of editing and a lot of thinking to relay that information. Uh, Again, I go back to Albert Einstein who says it the same way. He said, if you don't, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it well enough. But a lot of times we lose a lot of that simplicity. We lose a lot of that clarity uh, in the, in the drive for accuracy in our briefs. In PowerPoint, I'm going to give you 10 slides, and I lost all clarity because I'm trying to get to so much accuracy. Well, it's the clarity I really I really needed. I mean, the accuracy, we, we can get that plus or minus is okay, but it's really the clarity. And and most of our workforce, I'm convinced, 33 years, if we said, just, just tell me, just tell me what you're thinking, because you're the expert. You deal with this every day. But it got lost. It got clouded because I've, I've got to put it in PowerPoint. I've got to make 10 slides. I've got to lay the bullets out, et cetera. And, and sometimes you find out that doesn't really work. And when we did the brief lab, that kind of illuminated that point to a lot of our team here, at least the senior leaders I wanted to have that point illuminated to is like, we shouldn't kill ourselves. We, we need to focus on clarity. If you need more accuracy, we can always get you that. We've got tons of experts that, that can do that across Fort Leavenworth and the Combined Arms Center. But it's like the clarity. That's what we've got to have. And we've got to demonstrate, I can explain this to you in eight to 10 words if you, if you really want to press me because we can and and we can do that. And so that has been hugely beneficial in terms of how I see things. Hopefully, you know, most of the team sees things here. 
But we, we have to be able to get, get these things out in the open and talk to them on, on the table. And like you're saying, let's get it out now. Don't tell me there's something more that I'm not giving you now where we're making the decision. And then later I'm going to try to come back in and modify that decision because I wasn't really transparent when we had right. that public meeting. And that right. does happen. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And I, I had a, a great boss who would always say, don't worry so much about what people say. Worry about what they don't say. I think right. the same rule applies for briefs because I can look at your brief and everything's there, but what did you not say? What did you not tell me? And it's not that you're hiding anything. You're, you're, you're focused on a different thing. I've got to present all the facts. I've got to lay out all these different things and, and numbers and, and charts, but there's some things I'm not telling you. That's what I really want to know, and we've got to get to that level of conversation. So my, my technique, and I stole it from a boss I had several years back where he would he would just be – ferocious about read books and he would take home a read book every night. And after a long day, you're like, how are you getting through this, this big read book? And I was his XO and I would take the same read book. They'd make two copies and try to get through them. And I'm falling asleep going through the book and, but just trying to upload at the same pace he was and then watch him go in and just have a conversation because you gave me the brief. You took time to develop those slides. I don't need you to brief me on what you put on paper. That, that was a purpose of you putting it on paper. Now we can have a conversation. So there's some things and I'm not, checking your homework. I'm not trying to play stump the chump or anything like that. There's some things you probably didn't say in here that I need to know. And and that got conversations to a much better, much higher level. So I try to emulate that technique as well. I've always found that if, if you and I have three conversations about a topic, uh, you, you will learn something new in all three, and I will learn something new in all right. three. The more of, yeah. of an iterative kind of thing it is. It's like, okay, well, I, I heard that a little differently this time. Is that, yeah, yeah that's correct. And I didn't right. say that last time, but I'm, I'm saying it now. Right. And some people have, we have a change of heart. We hear something different. We think about something a little bit differently. Right. Um, but it's the isolation that, uh, I think it's the isolation and the fear that, that causes us to, to, to not be forthcoming or to withhold or right. to, I'm not showing all my, I'm not showing all my cards today. Yeah. And that does happen. Yeah. For a lot of different reasons. I mean, that could be, you know, because of, you know, position and interest. And one thing I read a long time ago as well is like, you know, you, you can come into something based on your position or you come in based on your interest. If you come in, you and I both come in based on the interest, we're going to get a lot further. If we come in based on our position, we're not really going to move. I come in as the cat commander and you come in. You know, your position and that position could be equivalent to mine. We're not really going to move. We're, we're just trying to win. Who, who's going to win and who's going to lose? But if we know our common interest is in front of us, we focus on that. We're, we're both probably going to move. You may lose. I may win, but that's okay. We, we've got a common interest that we're focused on, but we get much further down the road. And there's an, another quote that we talk about in our emotional intelligence lesson, which is um, – conversations will rarely rise above the emotional maturity level that is struck in the first two or three minutes. <laughs> so if it's, if it's coming in from my position is this and yours is that, yeah, it's going to be a confrontation. You're stuck. But when we talk uh, interest, common interest, we, right. may, we may be able to move forward. Yeah. And it's another, I, I hate to be throwing books at you, David, but that's okay. You know, but, but I do a lot of reading because I mean, the things that we're talking about now, they're all fascinating and, and we all have our own opinions and, and everything else. But when you talk about conversations 
And I, I no longer use hard conversations, difficult, uncomfortable, those type things, because I read the book and there's other books related to it that will lead you down the similar path. There's crucial conversations. And really, what does that mean? There's there's certain ingredients in, a, in all conversations that you just have to be aware of before you start that conversation. And one of those ingredients is emotions. I, I know there's emotion tied to this topic or whatever we're going to talk about, but I need to know that before I go into this conversation high stakes and varying opinions. You're going to have a difference of opinion, but I need to know that, be mindful and respectful of that before we can really talk about it. Because if not, if I just throw those things off the table, don't care about your emotions, don't care about your opinions, then whatever stakes, however high they may be, not worried about those, then you're right. We're going to hit some key triggers right at the part, the beginning part of that conversation, and we're not going to move. And it's it's so great in the workplace when we do have the, kind of the leveling of how's everybody feeling about this, and then when you get that out, sometimes that can become the catalyst to okay, that and what can we do about it? Because yeah. you're dissatisfied, I'm dissatisfied, you're frustrated, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, well, then it sounds like there's uh, <laughs> energy here to come up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk to you about a quote that uh, is, I think it's it, it's a great quote for leadership, and I just want to take it apart a little bit, and it's this uh, idea that subordinates don't work for you, you work for them. And that is, that's, that's kind of a, a, we would say in the leadership uh, education business, a servant leadership approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like putting labels on on a philosophy like that. But just when did you see that as an army officer? When did you start to sense that? Uh, and and then maybe when did you really realize? No, that is the case. That this is this really is about me taking care of the soldiers, not about them uh, taking care of me in almost a, a regal way that you've seen uh, from army leaders where. It really does kind of become about them personally more so than the unit. So yeah. um, when, when did you start to feel that and kind of when did that really – and did you see others that had that same uh, philosophy about leading? Yeah, I, I learned it early from my father-in-law. So my father-in-law is a retired command sergeant major. And the very first thing he told me after I got commissioned, he said, take care of your soldiers. They will take care of you in the mission. So that's where I heard it. And then I – you know – saw it in my own career play out. It's like, you take care of these soldiers, they will take care of you and the mission and everything else. But it wasn't until years later when I, when I came across the book, the servant is where they talk in depth about servant leadership. And you see the the definition of what does that really mean? Identify and meet the needs of others. Like that's kind of what, what I've been doing. And I've seen others do that to me. So, so now you've got some words, you've got a definition to it, but you, you know, but it was just a saying, you know, to begin with, I think many of us have heard that. Take care of your soldiers, take care of your civilians, take care of your formation, they'll take care of you. And and we'll do it, not completely realize what we're doing, but once I saw those words, identify and meet the needs of others. That's what you're doing. They're going to take care of everything else if you're doing that. It's almost like Maslow's hierarchy. Take care of those basic needs, they, they will get to where they need to be individually, organizationally, you name it. And I've seen many leaders do that very well, just watching some commanders that come to my mind, and I had a conversation with one commander. I'm like, so how do you do all the stuff that you do? You spend a lot of time, you know, not so much down and in, and this was at a at a brigade level, but you're, you're up and out. 
and, and why do you do that? And he said, well, I'm taking care of the rest of the organization. And he said, by me going down to a clinic or going having this engagement with this person, I just made it better for this entire organization. And I said, huh, that makes a lot of sense because you're identifying meeting the needs of others because they knew him. You know, he established his credibility for that organization, but it was also for people in that organization when they came. It was like, ah, I know your commander. Your commander's invested time. He knows what we do, how we support you, everything else. So he just broken a lot of barriers by doing that, which is something else, you know, I started to emulate. And sometimes people don't really catch on to that when they see you spending your time and doing certain things. Like, why are you, why are you doing that? That's kind of a waste of time. Not, not really. I'm identifying and meeting the needs of others because that is helping my organization and my formation. I'd like to ask you, sir, about a topic that in our, our final moments here on Leader Up, uh, a topic that I've heard a lot of folks in the intermediate course, and that's GS 10 through 12. So that's, that's maybe your captain, maybe your uh, first rank field grade levels of folks. And um, there's kind of a common theme that we would talk about in the classroom. It's about delegation. Uh, so, and a lot of these folks, uh, and they're Army civilians, and they maybe their recent experience was uh, I'm in the budget section and I'm the senior budget person, and now I'm in charge. Um, and uh, I was in the I was in the army, um, but this is this feels a little bit different. Uh, and now I'm in charge of the budget section, and everybody says I should be delegating, but I, I'm fearful because I don't want things to not be done right. But I know I can't do it all. But there's another. There's another thing about delegating that I think is related to leadership. Delegating isn't just, I've got too many mashed potatoes on my plate. I want to give somebody else some. Delegating, is there's more to delegating than just me getting something off that I don't have time to do. There's a lot more involved in that. And I just want to hear your thoughts about things that you've seen over the years about why it's important to delegate, and what is the real goodness that comes out of doing that? Yeah, well, it's the keystone of our profession, and it's not delegation, but it's trust. I mean, that's how you're going to build trust, I and mean, that is that is the keystone of our profession, but it also links to other things that we talk about, mission command, empowerment. I mean, how do you do that? It's through delegation. I mean, that's one of the tangible ways you, you can build trust. You can build or establish mission command in your environment. You can empower others is, is to delegate. And to young officers, my, my analogy is a little bit more senior now, seems a little bit silly. I would explain it this way. I said, you, as you go up, you're going to have to trust. You, you're going to have to delegate and power down because, of course, you can do these things because you, you've done them. It just depends on, you know, where you sit and how you've matriculated through an organization. But you can't always do that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And my analogy was, I said, when you're at a lower level, it's like you're on the horse. You control the range. You can make that horse do whatever you want to do, jump fences, stand on his hind legs. But as you move up, now you're going to move onto the stagecoach and you're, you're controlling the rain still, but you, now you've got a team of horses and you've got to trust. Say for example, if you did have riders, you don't have riders on the stagecoach, but um, that's why my analogy doesn't make perfect sense now, but you've got to have that trust that all things are not going to happen exactly when you want to. You, you know how to do it. You can jump back on that horse in a minute because you can, but there's somebody else there now. And, and you've got to be able to, empower, trust them, delegate things to them, knowing they're probably going to make a mistake, 
but you've got to be willing to underwrite that mistake and not look at that as that's a that's a negative or a hit on you. And I think that's where we sometimes go wrong and venture into things like being counterproductive because that's a lick on me. Well, you can't take that personal. If I'm going to develop this person and help them grow, yeah, that is a lick on me, boss. You know what? I, because X happened, I screwed that up. I, I need to do something better. And then as you get further up, now you're inside the stagecoach. And you're going to want the, the stage to go left or right, and you got to lean out of the window, and it's going to have some delays. It's going to take a little bit of time. Yes, you can jump back out and grab the reins again because you can. Doesn't mean you should. And, and you're getting further and further removed. So now it's even more important that you have to trust. You have to delegate. You're going to build those things that you need for that organization because over time, the whole organization goes, you know what? You can do all this. We'll just let you do it because – that's the only way we're going to get it right, and that's not not the right way to develop an organization. But just know what that's going to cost you, and it's not your personal respect or your credibility. That's going to cost you patience and time to develop others, and and, and it's but it's going to gain you trust at the end of the day. And so, for our final uh, topic, I wanted to, to talk to you about is a, a vignette, something that uh, happened to me. And I, I'd like to just get your feedback on this. Okay. Um, this will probably, there'll be a lot of familiar themes in this story. So there I was, uh, 1988. Uh, I was a battalion motor officer in Germany, BMO. Mm-hmm. And um, I was leading a maintenance convoy through Germany. And our battalion was moving. And I just happened to have this small convoy. And we had, tool trucks, we had trailers, we had broken uh, five tons, we had uh, broken deuce and a halfs, uh, all being towed. And uh, the BMO, me, was in my a Jeep, and it was Jeeps back then. Right. We were supposed to turn right up there, and I decided, because I wasn't paying enough attention, to turn right back here. And then I thought, I'll turn right here, I don't think I'm on the right road, but now I can turn left and get up to that road where we're supposed to be. So I turn left, and the trees kept getting thicker and thicker. And when the road stopped, I could see the grove of trees that were preventing me from getting on that route right. that was up ahead. And I could also see that there was no way to go forward. And so um, there was about eight or nine vehicles. And the soldiers just got off, and I got off, I got out of my Jeep. And I don't know if you've ever encountered this look from the soldiers where they say, sir, you screwed up. We know that you did. Uh, it's, and it's, it's, there's no uh, counter evidence to the opposite. And they, ha- they kind of looked like they were upset with me. And I just said, you know what? This is my mistake. I turned, ro- I turned incorrectly. I should have gone further. I wasn't paying enough attention to the map. It's on me. We got two choices now. I'll stay here for the rest of the afternoon, and y'all, you can complain. You can tell me I made a mistake. I'll listen to it, right. and I'll, I will set up court right here, each one of you. Or the other choice is this. I can't turn these vehicles around by myself. You can. So – if you want to spend the rest of the day uh, admonishing me, I'll take it. If you want to just say, let's get this yeah. stuff turned around and get out of here, we can get to that. 
And they all kind of started laughing and said, you know, sir, you sometimes you're just crazy. <laughs> and um, so they turned the vehicles around. Nothing ever was ever said about it again. But what's happening in that in that vignette and what how should young officers maybe look at us? Because things like that happen. They're going yeah. to happen. And so what what would we learn about leadership from from a story like that? Yeah. As you were telling that story, David, I got a ton of them just like it. And it's not to one up, but I mean, some are exactly like it. But the thing that resonates that that you said to me is you owned it, and and that's what's key to me is like you just own it. A lot of things, you know, mistakes will be made, we will screw things up, but I think people appreciate it more when you just own it, and, and that's exactly what you did. And, and I've had the same experiences and just own it. But it goes back to our previous point: you you build that trust, even when you screw something up and you don't know it. The fact that somebody will come up and tell you, and it could be lower ranking or you know, equal ranking, doesn't really matter, but say, sir, ma'am, you, you screwed this up. Did I? What what happened? Because you might not even know, but but they have that, that faith and confidence in you that you're not going to take that news bad, but you will own it, and then things will move on from that point. And like you said, I mean, but if, if you don't own it, you've still been on that road right now trying to turn those vehicles around, you know, to this day. But you owned it. And I think in all things that we do, whether it's, you know, a big mistake, little mistake, get comfortable with owning that mistake because nobody else can own it for you. You can't really point, you know, blame at anybody else. Anytime you point one finger, three are pointing back at you. So get out of the habit of pointing your finger and, and just point it to yourself and go, yep, I probably need to own that one. And, and we can move on because most people, just like you saw in that formation, will be forgiving of that. They will appreciate that and they'll move on. And I can get on the radio in a situation like that, and I can posture upwards and outwards. In other words, I can call the S3 up and say, hey, I'm, ha- I'm, ha- I'm, ha- I'm having some comms <laughs> issues here, and um, I will be back on the road. Okay. But the folks that are right there with me, they, they see it. They know, and there's no, there's no posturing at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I did a very similar thing. I said in a whole company defense backwards. Commander had gone, company commander, I was company XO, company commander went out to, you know, get more orders at the battalion talk, et cetera. And he's like, okay, we got to go here. We got to set in the defense, orient it this way. So we get there late at night. He's not going to come back until right before sunup. And we're all set in. So a company defense, we're all set in, turned the wrong way. And one of the soldiers, it wasn't like the first sergeant or anybody else, just came up and was like, sir, you, you, you do know we're oriented the wrong way. I'm looking at my map and I'm, I'm checking my compass and, I think we got this whole defense. I mean, all we had to do was a 180, but he was like, and I look at the map and I'm like, holy cow. Oh my goodness. I'm all screwed up. But similar to your point, before the boss got back, everybody was reoriented the right way. And this is after digging. So people had been digging and you know, that's not going to go over well. Right. But you know, there was not a single word uttered to the commander or anybody else after that. And the whole company knew because the whole company was backwards and it, but it wasn't like a point of consternation the next day or even after that. I don't even think it was brought up in the AAR, you know, at that point. It was like, we just turned around because you owned it. Right. And so, uh, General Beagle, I want to thank you so much for uh, being a guest today on Leader Up. And I want to just, I, I know I wanted to talk to you about your, your books, and uh, you've mentioned a few of them. I just want to give you an opportunity now 
if you had a couple of books that that would be of value to our audience, what would they be? And we'll take that and, and publish the list yeah. along with our show notes. But just kind of recap a little bit about uh, the books that that really have meaning for you. Yeah, one one I've mentioned, and I, I'll I have a list. I show it to the pre command courses, but you know the servant because it talks about what we discuss servant leadership and what does that what does that really mean? I think it is it is a very good book because it, it it talks it through from multiple perspectives, just an average, you know, civilian in the workforce and, and how they needed to turn their career. A drill sergeant is in there and how this drill sergeant, because they all go to, all these people go to a monastery and they, they've got like this week or so of like silence and figuring life out and everything else. Everybody comes in with a different problem from a different walk of life. And they all walk away with understanding servant leadership. That That is how you have to identify and meet the needs of others. The other is Crucial Conversations. I mentioned that one as well because we all have to know what type of conversation we're going to have before we have it. And that could be something that's very simple, but we can't assume this is a very simple conversation. Just assume those three variables are going to be in there, high stakes, varying opinions, and emotions. So that allows you, I think, to communicate better. Another book is The First 90 Days, and it goes back to the point about value and it's a business-related book, but it really talks about what do you do when you go to an organization and you're new to it in the first 90 days. A lot of times we're told, do your assessment, figure out where the organization screwed up, what's broke, and then you go in and you're the fixer. You, you fix all these things. Or you report back to your boss or hire, all these things are broke. But in the first 90 days, you need to figure out where you value added. How did you bring value added value to that team? That's what you need to figure out in 90 days or less. So that is a book that I've always, you know, kept on the shelf. And the the last one, of course, you mentioned it already too, is Make Your Bed by Admiral McRaven is is probably the, the top four. I've got plenty others, but but reading along those lines absolutely fascinate me because I think from a day-to-day standpoint, there's a lot of things that we do and we do right, regardless of what we're doing. We just don't know. And sometimes you, you go to a book and it'll confirm. It's like I'm not really as screwed up as I thought. This, right. There's someone actually wrote about this. So you, you can put it in context. You can you can provide more meaning to yourself and go, okay, I'm not too bad in this area. But then also be open-eyed and open-minded to, I, that is really me. I am really screwing this up over here. Right. And I need to look at myself. So you, you get a bit of both. And that's what one thing that's always helped keep me grounded is finding those type books. You go, okay, not so bad here, horrible over here. But then how do I take that to ensure that I'm value added day after day? And so, General Beagle, I really want to thank you once again for being a guest today on Leader Up. It's been a real privilege for just for me personally and an honor to to have this time to be able to talk to you about just some really fun things like leadership. It's just great stuff yeah. to, to have this opportunity to talk to you. And so on behalf of our Leader Up audience, I really want to thank you. Uh, for giving up your time today to to talk about uh, Army civilians and just leadership in general. No, and David, thank you for what you do. I mean, this this is great. And the fact that, you know, across our organization, we do these things. I mean, you know, Doctrine has a podcast, Sam's has a podcast, but it's about communicating. And it's about meeting people where they are and bringing things to them that's of value to them so they can be of value. And the fact that, you know, you, you do this, I wouldn't say it's a a side job, but there's many other things that you do day in and day out and many other balls that you juggle. But by doing this, because you can tell you're passionate about it, it's important to you, and, and you do. You want to meet people where they are. So I really appreciate it. It is, it is a true honor for me to be a part of this team and just the legacy of this team and, and the workforce is here. 
I, I am I wake up blessed and amazed every single day just by the team I'm surrounded by. And I don't say that because I'm sitting across from you. That is a very short commute from my house to the headquarters. I think about that every day. It's like, holy cow, this is this is one one great team with a lot of great people always aiming to do the right thing. So just thank you for doing this and thank you for having me on today. You're welcome, sir. It's a, it's a privilege. Thank you for, for joining us. And so Leader Up audience out there, what did you hear from, from my commanding general, from Lieutenant General Beagle? What did he talk to you about today that, uh, that really resonates with you that, that you're going to take away and think about? And have you thought about leadership have you thought about doing your civilian education system course, uh, your grade appropriate CES course? And I would just encourage you to subscribe to our Facebook page and also subscribe, please, to our YouTube page where you can find out all the good stuff that we're doing here at Army Management Staff College. And join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.